Welcome to the Fan Bros, the show where the bros are fans. And welcome, internets, to another episode of Fan Bros. Show where the bros are fans or something to that extent. It's your boy DJ Benjamin, aka Lucius Lionel, aka the Kevin Bacon of the Internet, aka the Captain Kirk of Hip Hop here on the spaceship tonight. Fan Bros Show, the voice of the urban geek. And as always, I'm joined by Tatiana King Jones, the Grand Duchess of Tech, also known as the Black Russian, aka the Black Rogue, aka the Stiletto Stunner, aka Lambo Calrissian, aka Flex Luthor. Word up. And also sitting in the third seat is Chico Leo. <laughs> you were on a hot streak and said, fuck it. <laughs> I'm just going <laughs> to. Definitive Chico right. Leo. Yeah. The. Uh, the Chico Leo. Leo. I, I see Chico Leo actually. The Chico Leo actually posted on Instagram. Yes, he I did. Four pictures. Actually. Yeah, I, I was did. Shocked. Yo, your mentions must have been like a mile long. Oh yeah. <laughs> finally opened that joint. I know I've mentioned you at least a hundred times since you've gotten Instagram. His, his friend request is probably crazy. Crazy. Right now. Well, that's good to see Chico Leo is popping on Instagram. The Chico Leo. I need to take more pictures. I think is the thing. I mean, that's kind of what Instagram. About I know. <laughs> I mean, take pictures of. Don't you have a cat or? or, or I do. A community cat. I didn't even know like I got a cat. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, take a picture of your cat. You didn't know I had a cat? No. He yeah, like Lucy. Oh my god! Oh, Shout out Lucy. to Lucy. Lucy. Lucy Leo. <laughs> yeah. Bitch shouts to Lucy in the sky with diamonds. That's right. Yeah, that's right, folks. You know what that is. Lucy all around me, man. <laughs> Lucy all around me, and we are here on Fanbro's show. Big shout outs to all of our millions of new listeners. Yes, right. millions. Millions of <laughs> new millions. listeners. And millions. <laughs> the secret convergence on Infinite Podcast kicked off last week. So I know we are just basking in the glory of all these new listeners from around the universe who enjoyed the first episode yeah. in the secret convergence, which is still going on right now. Make sure you follow S C O I P. Yeah, podcast. S C O I podcast. Yes, there we go. S C O I podcast on Twitter. There's a Tumblr of the same name. Follow it. Get all the information. I know you loved our episode. Big shout outs to everybody who joined us on Battle Pod for that first episode. Me and Chico had to battle it out. That was a who would win in a fight, right? That's right. Oh, yeah. That one got a little man. I'm, you know, big shout outs to all our new listeners. That's how we get down on Fan Bros. All that yeah. stuff. You were like, whoa, I can't believe they said that. Yeah, we say it every week. And let me just say Secret Convergence of Infinite Podcast is one of the most ambitious projects Yo. ever to be taken on by how many podcasts? Like 10 or nine, nine podcasts. Nine podcasts. And big shout outs to Crazy. everybody behind the scenes. I don't want to name everyone, but you know, it, I'm amazed how this has come together because. It, you know, we've across been planning, time zones, across, across galaxies. Yeah, like, yeah, we've been planning this since April at least, and so it's you know really amazing to see it come together. Yeah. And it looks like it might even finish before Secret Wars does, which right. will, you know, <laughs> big shout outs to Marvel. Thanks for you know taking your time with that one because we're gonna be done before you are. But yeah, thank you to all the new listeners, everybody who enjoyed it. Stick around, you know, subscribe to us on SoundCloud, on iTunes, on YouTube. 
all that good stuff. It's the voice of the urban geek, and we're glad to have you here. Yeah. You know what else I'm glad about? What's that? I'm actually big ups to him, George Lucas. Yes. This man is has now, they, they're finally announcing, he announced that the George Lucas Family Foundation is pledging $10 million of its 2006 pledge to support African-American and Hispanic students at the USC School of Cinematic Arts. Word. I guess they should call that like the Jar Jar Fund. Oh, come on, Ben, I mean, <laughs> why you had to ruin it? <laughs> is that like his penance for making Jar Jar? Or maybe his penance for, um... Those other aliens, you know, Watto. Oh, and I mean, just just draw the Phantom Menace fund and be done yeah. with it. Because pretty much all that movie is like the opposite of diversity. Oh, wow. So so the way it works is, uh, well, actually, George Lucas actually graduated from USC back in 1966. Yep. And he donated $175 million to the film school itself Whew. back in 2006. $75 million of that was used to rename and rebuild the now state-of-the-art school. And then, as I just mentioned, $10 million is going to go towards these scholarships. And these scholarships are for undergraduate and graduate African-American or Hispanic students that will receive priority consideration. I hope that's not code for one or two of you are going to get this, but they say priority consideration to actually get the scholarship. And a scholarship is going to be called George Lucas <laughs> Scholars. <laughs> Ten million will cover more than two listen, people. Listen, or Melody Hobson Scholars, after uh, his wife. Oh, not, not Jar Jar? Not Jar Jar. What no, about not the Jar Jar Fund. What about Lando Calrissian Fund? <laughs> Like that, w- you mean the Colt Forty Five? The Colt Forty Five Fund, exactly. you know, Cloud not the John City Boyega fund. fund. No, no, because no. Lando is the original. No, like, he is. Yo, George Lucas, you effed up. You got to put a brown person in there, and he's right. like, oh, okay, here's a smuggler. <laughs> oh, no, he was he was a mayor. He's a former smuggler who's mayor. Oh, wait a minute. See, that's funny you mentioned. He's that, mayor of like, Cloud City. He's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's mayor of Cloud City, but uh, what was he doing first? Smuggling and stealing the Millennium Falcon and, you know, everything else grimy. But yeah, big shout outs to George. You know, I, I even though I've had my issues with you, you are still the creator of Star Wars. So you are and forever will be a god in my eyes. So congratulations on that. And in some other, you know, news, they say this. I haven't got to peep it yet, but everyone is ranting about this new Star Wars uh, Battlefront trailer, which they say is just, you know, better than the latest uh, Force Awakens trailer even. I mean, I I don't know what to say about it. I'm going to need to watch this. I don't care about trailers when it comes to video games. Give me the gameplay. Let me see the gameplay. Let me actually work on Let me actually play the game. And I'll tell you if it's good or not. You can have the best trailer in the world. Cinematics mean nothing when I'm sitting there and, you know, I'm I'm glitching out like the last Assassin's Creed. Oh, but, um, yeah, I'm not going to, you know, I'll probably do, you know, one of my, you know, famous uh, videos of me watching the new trailer. Yeah, when I get home tonight and peep it. But um, that gameplay on that beta, oh, not good, right? I remember you talking about oh, that. Oh man, I no mean, bueno. I, I, it's just I've never been so anticipation and then so disappointed so quickly. Like mm. it took me less than an hour for me to not want to play the beta again. So, well, yeah. shout out to the new Assassin's Creed trailer because that actually looks really dope yeah. in London. Oh, yeah, nice. and hopefully they've worked out all the kinks this right. time around. So, yeah, well, hopefully they did because I'm still rocking Metal Gear and I will continue to for the foreseeable future. But yeah, we got a huge show ahead of us. Like I said, big shouts to all the millions and millions of new listeners out there, and we'll be right back with some more fan bros. This is Daniel Jose Older. When I am not writing cool shit, I am listening to the fan bros. Word, you just write cool shit? 
That's what I do. Welcome back, fam bros. Uh, we are welcoming to the spaceship Perry Young, an American actor and musician best known for his role currently as Ping Wu on Steven Soderbergh's The Nick. And we've been uh, very much looking forward to talking to Perry. And uh, welcome to the spaceship. Thank you for having me. I, I love the show. I love you guys. You guys are doing wonderful work. Thank, Thank you. you. Oh, that's Thank amazing. You. Yeah. Well, you you too are, are doing wonderful work. You you're uh, you can be seen weekly on the Nick, and you were on Gotham and the Blacklist and Royal Pains. Thank and you. What else? What else are you working on right now? Uh, well, I just shot on Limitless. So you oh, see nice. me oh, nice. on, uh, in two weeks. You'll oh. see me on Limitless. Is it okay. It's on CBS, right? It's on CBS. It's yes. a wonderful, wonderful new show. And the uh, Jake McDormand, the actor that plays Brian Finch, he's so cool to work with. And the cast, I mean, the the, the set, the producers, I mean, they're all just really cool, um, happy people because it's sort of a hit show. Yeah. yeah. And it's ba- <laughs> based, based on a movie. Right, right. So usually it's the other way around, but uh, or I guess not. No, I guess they they, they make a lot of the the the, the movie. It starts as a movie and then comes as a show, like Fargo. Yeah. So you mentioned Gotham, and obviously that's a big show for our listeners. And that's a show that Chico and the rest cover on Special Delivery. How was that? Well, first of all, who did you play, and then how was that experience? Oh yeah, that was a pretty pretty cool experience. Also, I played the character Shi Lu, who was a Chinatown money launderer. So he had a whole basement full of like. Uh, 10 money money launderers counting money all day long and um, you know they came to get some info from me and, and basically I, I realized that they um, they were on my hit list mm. and so you know I turned it around on them in the scene but it was really fun it, it, you know it was winter time and they were shooting uh, it got set back because of the s- a, a storm oh, okay. and some of the actors were like freezing at 7 a.m. because they had to do a chase scene outside for two hours I mean, you know, working in New York City, it's yeah. just so cool with things like that because you, you just get to, like, you know, uh, well, run around in the snow and freeze. <laughs> and and, and in, in uh, the Nick, there you're running around in, what is it, like 1901 or 1910 New York? 1901. 1901, right. exactly. So, yeah, I, I switched that there. So, yeah, 1901, <laughs> they, they recreate, you know, all New York City all over. Sometimes if you're looking, you can recognize... Some 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 historical buildings and 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 stuff like that, but they do a, an an amazing job of recreating the New York of of 115 years ago. Um, what's that like? Well, I mean, as an actor, uh, being on that set, and I was just walking down here, down Broadway, and I was looking at some of the old buildings and walking around through the the uh, cemetery, mm-hmm. and it just kind of brought me back to the Nick, and I thought, wow, you know, people were here like 200 years ago buried here and and i mean and the amount of i mean just the vibe of that cemetery brought me back to the set of the nick because those those guys on the nick i mean they are amazing craftsmen i mean the people who built the set the set designer won uh i think uh uh an award recently for last last season yeah the design. emmy right yeah. the emmy, emmy or golden yeah. globe one of them maybe yeah. it was a golden globe but it was just the amount of detail they put into the set i mean when you open a door on the set of the nick i mean it's real brass the doorknob that door is heavy. I mean, it's it's marble floors, and it's all on a soundstage in Greenpoint. I mean, the whole hospital is in like a you know a huge huge soundstage. Sta- so it's it's quite breathtaking to be on the set. 
Did you uh, do any shooting in Brooklyn? Because they were shooting like right around the corner from my house. Right. Was it, is it Bensonhurst? Yeah, at the high school or yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah. So like uh, the episode that was just on last week, I walked right by the front of the house, that the the front, the exterior of the Nick that's, yep. that's used on yeah, the Yeah, because they turned it into the Nick Hospital. Right. And that whole street is closed off and they put all the old the billboards up. And, yep. And, you know, walking yeah. onto the set there, we're just around the corner in our trailers. And once you hit the corner and you see these the background people in period clothing, you know, and it's <laughs> wintertime, right? And they're standing around like these heaters on the street corner just to keep warm. And you're like, wow. I mean, what did they do like 100 years ago? They didn't have these heaters. I mean, they were probably had like they had garbage cans. Garbage right. cans. Fire. Yeah. <laughs> garbage fire. That, that was the 70s, wasn't it? 90s. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was any time yeah. you don't have heaters. <laughs> from, from the Nick to the Warriors. So w- was that the first time that we actually saw? your character outside because most of the time we see him he's sitting in his you know in his lair which has grown or changed uh you know uh, you know from an uh an opium den to now uh sort of high class brothel Uh, i went i went sort of (laughs) i went mid moving on up yeah (laughs) moving uptown that's right um so i took over bunky collier's digs right basically and his digs were better than mine you know so he he, he was sort of midtown ish i guess at the time it was uptown uh i took over he had he had this wonderful uh i mean the location of that was also in bensonhurst near the school it was an old mansion it was beautiful i mean the way that again the the set people dressed it up it's just you walk in there and it's just magic you know being on the nick working with Steven Soderbergh and you have all these people who he's worked with for over 10 years, you know, um, collectively so or collaboratively. So they all are like so attuned to each other. It's quite amazing. Um, it's a very different vibe when like compared to the Gotham, I felt like Gotham was just so f- it was frenetic. There was a lot of incredible energy floating around and they have a different director for every episode. So w- when that director comes in, he has to sort of figure out who the DP is, who the sound guy is, mm-hmm. and work with all of them in a, in a sort of a maybe the, maybe he, they've worked together before, but most likely not. So they're trying to figure everything out as they're shooting. You know their personalities. They're, they're trying to, you know, work with each other. But with Steven Soderbergh, it's a quiet set, and mm-hmm. everyone's just watching Steven, and Steven's looking at you through his camera. And I mean, you know, the magic that happens like that, it just reverberates. You can hear it. It's pretty amazing. I mean, there's nothing. I mean, it's it's a one of a kind experience working with Steven Soderbergh. I, I bet. I mean, one one you just mentioned, he has a lot of his regular sort of crew members, and I've I've always shouted out one of the things I really like about the Nick is the music by Cliff Martinez. It's amazing, isn't it? And you have a whole musical background, which we're, we'll get to later. But he. Um, you know, he, he's been working with Soderbergh for a while. I remember he did the music in Contagion, which was that big Steven Soderbergh disease movie like yeah. from five or ten years ago. And, you know, it, it, I normally get it bothers me when they use electronic music in historical. There are a couple of exceptions and the Nick is really one of them. It works so well in the uh, in the context of, 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 of the show. It makes it very fresh and contemporary yeah. and in the moment. So you really feel who these characters are. as Like you can live with them because of Cliff Martinez's soundtrack i think you don't see it as something like you know downton abbey or something you know right right (laughs) exactly it's it's right in your face you know and it feels like gritty new york and yet there's this pulsating synth uh synth you know synthesizer soundtrack and it makes you feel like it's happening right now 
And it's dealing with all these issues, you know, drugs and, uh, you know, corruption and... Brothels. Yeah, brothels, yeah. (laughs) The wonderful thing, I think, about about what the writers have done with the Nick is that it's really just a look at New York City today with this race race tensions and and everything. And uh, it's really, I mean, you look at, and you look and you go, well, how far have we come since then, you know? Maybe far, but maybe not. Right. Maybe not as far as we think. Right. Right. Exactly, exactly. Well, since we're talking about how far we've come, I have to go back into your background. Like, how did you even get involved into acting? Because you, I've I've looked you up and did a little bit of research, and you're a multi-talented artist. So (laughs) um, tell me, how did you get involved into, like, that world? Like, lots of people fall into it, some of it, some people train for it. How did you do it? Well, yeah, I I fell into it. Uh, I have a background in music and art. I Mm -hmm. played, you know, in punk rock bands uh, through college. Oh, wow. Yeah, I did fine art, painting and printmaking. And through that, I wanted to sort of experiment performance art. Mm. So I started taking movement classes and dance classes. And, you know, uh, one of my teachers from dance classes just grabbed me and said, I want you in my choreography, you know? And like, okay, I didn't know any better, you know? (laughs) Next thing you know, I'm wearing tights on stage, you know? And like, but you know, it's not as bad as you think because, uh, you know, a straight man wearing tights, you know, you know, it's, uh, In a room full of, you know, ladies, it's 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 not a bad thing. Right. You know? <laughs> um, so anyway, it worked so out for you a little bit. It wor- <laughs> Thank you. Thank Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> so anyway, I made my after I graduated from school, San Francisco State University, and I moved to New York City because I just wanted to swim in the big ocean of art, you know, in the yeah. world. This is like the world. Just New York the City place is to the do world. It. Right. It's international. So. Uh, I tried to do visual arts and I realized it's just I just couldn't pay the rent, you know, and like paint in a space. And so I started like playing music again and I started wanting to I wanted to meet dancers and I started I figured out that it was easier to audition and meet people and work with them that way than to be do painting because you're isolated mm. and you're lonely in New York City. New York City is a huge city, you know. And, you know, it can be quite lonely for the person that's moving here, mm-hmm. not knowing a single soul. So I got into uh, some auditions and uh, and I started dancing, you know, and uh, and then and then I did a show where uh, I was very lucky to have been introduced to a person who knew Ellen Stewart of La Mama Theater. And, uh, you know, I did the show. I was going on tour. And when I was going on tour, I had to move out of my my, my apartment because of this crazy roommate. And we all have those stories about crazy yeah. roommates, you know. <laughs> we all have one. <laughs> so I had to, like, leave, go go on tour, leave my apartment. And, and this friend of mine said, why don't you go meet Ellen Stewart at La Mama? She has an artist residency. And she'll probably put you up and let you stay there. So, you know, I met her. She looked, took one look at me and said, well, baby, you can have the keys. <laughs> 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 Being a straight man worked out again, I see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I wasn't even wearing my tights, you know. But uh, that, so that show closed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that tour closed. I came back to New York City two months later. And uh, as Kimson was just saying, back then in New York City, you can walk by La Mama and literally get put on a show. Wow. So I came back from that tour. I was walking through the lobby, and somebody grabbed me and said, Ellen's been looking for you. Ivana broke her, uh, her ankle, and, you know, we need you in the show. How's your sword fighting? What? That's like straight out of Forty Second Street, <laughs> like you know. I said, you know, give me the sword, you know. So, <laughs> I rehearsed for two hours before the show, and they said the New York Times is coming tonight, you know. Holy! And I was just uh, a chorus member to fill in the choreography of this huge samurai sword fight epic that uh, Ellen was producing at the time in nineteen ninety, uh, no, two thousand nineteen ninety three. And uh, I did the show, and Ellen was very happy with me. And since then, and then she invited me to be part of her company, and she 
brought me around the world. Wow. Japan, Korea, Italy, Greece, Croatia. I mean, she brought me all over the world, and I just did theater. And I, I, I acted. And I hadn't had done any acting, really. But it's like you sink or you swim. Wow. And um, she was amazing. I mean, I mean, I owe a lot of what I do to, to the great Ellen Stewart. So, yeah, if you could just tell, tell our listeners a little bit about Ellen and uh, La Mama, because people, I think a lot of people maybe in New York know about it, but um, just like a brief history of, you know, it's, a, it's an important independent arts. It's huge. I always fantasize that somebody should write a screenplay about her because she's like bigger than Josephine Baker or something like that. I mean, she, mm. she's like the, an African-American woman who put um, experimental theater on the map. She basically, um, you know, almost every actor in New York City in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s performed at La Mama Theater. I mean, Harvey Keitel, Sam Shepard was writing plays mm. there, Bette Midler was singing there. I mm. mean, almost every actor in New York City performed at La Mama. And she's, La Mama Theater still produces about 50 or 60 shows a year. Oh, wow. And know. from all around the world. And they invite different kinds of uh, uh, musicians and dance from all over the world. So it's one of the most diverse places, presenters in New York City, and it still influences the downtown theater scene greatly. So mm. Ellen first started uh, around 1964 by renting a basement so that a writer you know, who failed off-Broadway could sort of write and put on a play. And that little, that little cafe, they called it, Cafe La Mama, produced some amazing talents. Mm. And, and they went on to, um, I mean, almost every, like, just I, I can't even name them. There's like the Trocadero, Monte Carlo, this uh, men's ballet group. I mean, it's huge. It's mm. huge. Theater, the yeah, all these. I mean, it's just amazing. It's huge. They've influenced so much American theater. I mean, Jesus Christ Superstar. Yeah. Um, it started as La Mama yes, production. It started wow. As a La Mama. Wow. wow. Right. Right. Wow. Um, oh God, what's that other one? Uh, huge fame. I mean. Oh wow. Yeah. All these. It's like. And nobody knows it. She's an African American woman. That. Right. That is crazy. That. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. No. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. right. Definitely. So when you're a, a Chinese guy from Oakland, how <laughs> how did you get involved in uh, the shakuhachi uh, flute flute world? That you you both make and play traditional Japanese flutes. Right. That thoroughly confuses people. Uh, first of all. <laughs> I mean, being first of all, being Chinese, and then I, I make and play a Japanese, Japanese instrument, instrument. Right. and then being from Oakland also. Right. But, um, <laughs> well, okay, let's just the go Bay to... The area, Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, I love Oakland, you know. It, it's an amazing, amazing city. Um, but, okay, so on one of these shows I did at La Mama, Oedipus, I was playing Oedipus, and one of the, one of the pit musicians was playing this instrument that I couldn't, like, put my finger on, and I started to notice it every night on stage during performance it started to get bigger and bigger and more intense mm. and if you know the shakuhachi it's a very subtle instrument it's sort of like the wind that flavors a scene you've all heard it you know it's like yeah. in bmw commercials you know when the car whips by and it's like shush <laughs> and you know and the more that once you become aware of it it's it becomes huge because it's so small it's mm. um so one day after the show i went to up to the musician i said what instrument are you playing at this part of the show you know it's so amazing he, and he said oh this he holds up this bamboo flute, the shakuhachi, and uh, he kind of <laughs> smiles. <laughs> was there like a beam of light that yeah. came out? When it's the it, shakuhachi. It was glowing. <laughs> yeah. It was glowing, you know, because it's notoriously difficult. It's like the violin or the human voice is very sensitive. 
but it's also a very simple instrument. It's just a tube of bamboo with holes drilled into it and a, and a little notch cut on the mouthpiece. But because it's so simple and the tube of bamboo is so organic, anything can come out of that piece of bamboo if, if you know how to play it. Mm. So, you know, but basically this, this musician who's an amazing musician, uh, a house musician at La Mama, Yukio Suji, he said, well, even if you have the money, you couldn't buy one because, you know, back then this was pre-internet. You'd have to go to Japan, right, you have to get find it. a teacher, yep. and wow. have your teacher choose the flute for you because there's a lot of poorly made flutes. So anyway, I put that idea away. But <laughs> um, a couple of months later, that, sh- that, tour, that show, Oedipus, went on tour. And uh, Yukio was on the back of the bus in the Balkans somewhere making a flute. And I said, you make these? And he goes, well, if I start now, I'd have a good one in 10 years. You know, ah. so <laughs> after that tour, after that tour True ended, master. yeah, after that tour ended, I went, we were back in New York. I went to the flower market, bought some bamboos, and I copied some of Yukio's flutes, did measurements, drilled holes, and I learned how to play and make on my own basically for a few years. And then I got wow. a grant and I went to Japan and I studied with a master. Wow. Yeah. So, you, you know, and I like obviously reading the word and looking, at it, I'm just like, what is that? I don't understand. A lot of people don't get it. But then when I heard it, I watched your videos. And I said, wait a minute. I've heard that in pretty much every media I've ever, you know, read, watch um, uh, anime is an anime. A lot. It's in a lot it's, of it's, anime. Naruto's theme song yeah. is that. Yeah. Um, it's in like all these James Horner soundtracks. It's it's in, the uh, you know, these big movies of Hollywood movies and right. you just it just flavors the movie so right. well. So how has that like shaped your experience in the industry? Like I said, you, you are an actor, but you're also a musician and, and amongst other things, you, you're an artist, really. So how has like that that musicality helped shape you? A lot of our own guests, like Dulé Hill, for instance, he tap dances. Everyone does a little bit of other art as well as being an actor. So can you share that? Right. I mean, well, I think one of the best things an actor can do is live, live mm. life to the fullest, because that is where your 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 self comes from when you act. And the shakuhachi, I mean, it's very similar to acting in a way that you have to get to a place where, of truth to understand what you're doing. Otherwise, you can't present anything that's really worth our time. Right. The shakuhachi is difficult, and it, and it comes from a, a place of meditation. And it was the first, it was the, an instrument that was played as a the tool for meditation by the Komoso monks in Japan at the Zen temples of Japan. All they would do is breathe and exhale into the bamboo. And whatever came out, it was just vibrations. And that's all they would do was train their breathing and their, and let the vibrations flavor the air. Hmm. So in that process, they sort of discovered themselves. And so I feel like that helps me in my acting, is being truthful to the lines, mm. the character. It's like, what is... What is the breath of these words in me? Mm. So that's different for everyone. And I think that the, 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 the two balance each other out quite well. I mean, the shakuhachi is just you sitting in a room alone, filling the air with vibrations. And when you're acting for film, especially, you're, there's it's ca- chaos until they say action. Yeah. It's chaos. There's somebody fixing your makeup, doing your hair, last looks. There's a cable at your feet. Don't step on that. You know, <laughs> don't block that guy's light or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, and then action. You know, it's it's chaos. And you're just trying to hang on to your lines at that moment. <laughs> and uh, so they, they sort of, the shakuhachi helps me focus at that moment when all I need to do is take a breath and it brings everything into focus and I'm ready to just go with it. Wow. So you uh, mentioned before that you played in a punk band. 
Right. I'm assuming you weren't playing the shakuhachi in the punk <laughs> band. <laughs> no, but there are musicians now doing it. Nice. Yeah, now. Um, Brian Ritchie, who is one of my teachers, Brian Ritchie is, is the bass player for the Violent Femmes. Oh, okay. So he's a, he's a shakuhachi master. He has a license to teach and, and another advanced license. So he was my, one of my first teachers and... He's a punk rocker that plays shakuhachi. I mean, so he's a perfect teacher for me, actually. So he sees how the instrument comes from a traditional place, but yet you can make it your own and, and you know, to where it's a meaningful thing today in your life. Um, so, but when I was um, in a punk band, I played guitar. Okay. Yeah. So what else, uh, what other music are you into besides, I mean, punk and you know everything that's played in a shakuhachi. You're, I just you're like a big it. Randy Rhodes like fan, right? Oh, I love. I was, you know, I was a big metalhead too. You know, but I mean, back in the, I mean, okay, I'm from Oakland. Okay, so oh, okay, yeah. So I grew up with uh, the birth of, you know, hip hop in Oakland. You know, we were too short. Too short. Oh yeah. He what about uh, Matt Dre? Do you are you? Uh, little, that's a little after. That's yeah, a little that's later a little on. after. But yeah. too short. I remember too short. We were cruising around with my friends, and we cruised through West Oakland. They'd be like, "I just have this tape from Too Short," you know? Right. And we'd trade tapes. And so you get it straight from the source. Exactly. Right? When he was selling exactly. out the, when he used to sell out the trunk. Yeah, yeah. And he would just like rap on top of like an LP playing and record that. Yeah. At the time. All it, day. It was yeah. yeah. So I mean, and you know, we'd cruise around listening to the Grandmaster Flash, White Lines, you know, all that stuff, and um, and then rock and roll at that time. I mean, Oakland had a great blues scene, also. I mean, it, it mm. was, um, and, and you know, that at that you know, San Francisco, the Bay Area, all those bands, you know, Jefferson Starship, Grateful mm -hmm. Dead, Journey, Boss Skaggs. I mean, all these guys were San Francisco musicians, you know, and and Oakland on the other side were sort of like the underground. You you never the really, funk. yeah, they you didn't hear about them, but there there were a lot of clubs where all these bands were playing, and they were they were not commercial bands. The, and there were a lot of clubs at that time in, in like the the mid '80s or early '80s where people can experiment and clubs were were sort of just letting anyone play. It's sort mm -hmm. of like what CBGBs was like in the beginning. Mm. I think all that dried up, unfortunately. So there's the music scene has gotten a little more, you know. No, but Oakland has always had like the independent music scene that I mean that predates all the rappers, and it's like. The rappers got it from the people from before them who were doing the funk and stuff before them. Right, so right. That's definitely, and to this day, Oakland is still real strong on as far as like independent music. Yeah, you can feel it once you walk into Oakland. I did, mean, you can really feel it. Did you ever see Sucker Free City, which was a two-hour pilot that Spike Lee shot? And uh, it basically was supposed to be a pilot for a show. The show didn't get picked up, oh, but yeah. they released yeah. the pilot as a movie on Showtime or, you know, wh whichever channel was going to do it. It's basically about a white family, a Chinese family, and a black family all in Oakland. Oh, I missed and it. And it, it really could have been something really good because there are shows about black families and there are shows about white families and there are a few shows about Asian families, but you don't have, the all, you know, a show that features all of them interacting with each other. And, and it really was onto something. It was Spike Lee and, you know, his stuff, his output is a little mixed, in terms of the quality, I mean, so it's usually there's interesting stuff going on, but that was something that, um, yeah, definitely look for that if you, I don't really know, you know, uh, if it comes around anymore, but that, that really touched on sort of the, the diversity of, of Oakland. I would love that. Yeah. Oakland's like Queens. It's so diverse, right. you know, it is so diverse. Um, but you know, what you're just saying reminded me of something I was thinking about the other day when we were talking about blackish and fresh off the boat. Mm -hmm. And a friend of mine, a friend of mine said, uh, you know, well, Blackish is so much better, <laughs> right? Wow, you know, because it's they're they're just hipper. They're just more like today now. But F 
fresh off the boat is still a little like, you know, they're trying to catch up with that. And I said, well, that's absolutely true because, I mean, but that's not the writer's fault, right? If you read the book by Eddie Huang, fresh off the boat is like blackish. It reads like blackish. It's fresh. It's funny. It's in your face, you know, and it's, 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 it's criticizes the culture and racism. But, you know, ABC sugarcoated it, mm. and they brought in you know different writers, and then they gave the characters accents and all that stuff. You think they, they didn't watered have, it down? They they watered it down. Yeah, they made it entertaining, sort of. Mm. Uh, but but still like a sort of mainstream entertainment, whereas Blackish yeah. sort of pushes the buttons and it's a little more intelligent. Mm. So I thought, you know, if you read the book, actually, FOB is like Blackish, and you know, besides, Black people ha- is a, you know ahead of us Asian Americans in because you had your own industry. I mean, all the black exploitation films, you know, like Asian Americans are making films now. Mm-hmm. You know, there's Asian Me- Asian American festivals now, and they're doing quite well. So, but we didn't have like the seventies, you know, where <laughs> you no. know where the where the black you know black filmmakers really were able to make some really I- interesting films. Like we don't we didn't have that, and we don't have the community like African Americans have a community to watch those films. Mm. Asian American the Asian American community is 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 less I mean I don't want to say African American or the black community is, is monolithic in any way but Asian Americans are so diverse. You know, you have Japanese, Korean, Chinese, Vietnamese, Thai, first generation, second generation, third mm. generation. I mean, and Asian Americans, people like me who are born here are actually the minority. So so we gotcha. don't have, you know, a a, a community to to support a single Asian American filmmaker, like we have, you know, with Spike Lee, you know, or his predecessors. Well, that, that's really interesting. I never thought of that. So, so the majority of Asian people in America are, in fact, were born elsewhere and are not actually born here in America. Yeah, that's today because yeah. yeah, because there's more Asians are uh, are immigrating today right. more than ever before because mm-hmm. you know. We Asian, uh, Chinese Americans and Japanese had uh, an exclusion law that prevented us from prevented Chinese women and Japanese women from immigrating, so that the people that could come here were only the men, and you you couldn't become a citizen. You could only work, and hopefully they expected us to go home. Wow! <laughs> so, uh, yeah. yeah. So we you were the send you back. right exactly. So we were the only sort of indentured servant. Uh, race that that had laws that prevented us from becoming citizens for for you know sixty years. Mm. Yeah. Ooh, all right. Well, we got much more on this subject in particular, yeah. and much more fan bros. But we're gonna take a quick break right here, and we'll be right back. This is Nikki Phillips, and this is Stacy Strobel. And we we're not grading papers or saving polar bears. We're listening to fan bros. Welcome back, Fan Bros. I know you've been enjoying this episode and this interview. We have Perry Young here in the spaceship tonight speaking on a lot of things. And we were just talking about a blackish and fresh off the boat. And didn't the even the creator have a problem with how fresh off the boats come out? I think I saw something about that. Oh, yeah. Eddie Huang was very vocal about, and unha- with, about the process yeah. that when he got um, the basically his baby taken from mm-hmm. him. And they were like... 
you know, we're going to bring in an Asian American writer. Don't worry about it. And she was, you know, she was Indian, you know. Oh, oh close. Yeah. Really? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did they really do that? Yeah. I mean, like, what does she know about Taiwanese culture, right? Just because she's Indian, you know, I mean, that they think, oh, she's Asian. She, so she they did the whole, work out. Right, right. Asian, you fit right. the quota thing? Exactly. Oh, exactly. On. And she was a woman, you know, so they brought in a woman, Asian woman. So. <sighs> He was so unhappy. He was, you know, it was all over his Twitter feeds and blog about, you know, he was so upset about what they did to his dad. He said, that's not my dad. My mm. dad was a badass, mm. you know? And like, you know, they, they yeah, you know, I, I, nothing, I have nothing against, or I have all only praise for Randall Park, the actor that plays him, because he's, yeah, he's a great, great job. Yeah, he's great, Yeah, he's a great actor. You know, they made him talk the way he talks. They make his mother a tiger mom. You know, every Asian woman I know who's a mother is upset about that. Wow. About the tiger mom? About the tiger stereotype? mom. Stereotype? Yeah. Well, they're can, you, like, can you explain the tiger mom? Because that's oh, something some of our listeners uh, might uh, not, you uh, know. Oh, right. There was a writer, I can't remember her name, who wrote a book yeah. called Tiger Mom. Mm-hmm. And it's about how, how you know, <laughs> she has to be this tough mother to raise these straight A kids, you know, these model minority kids. Okay. And, you know, she, basically the, she makes them do homework, clean, and, and all these extra, extracurricular activities after school in order for them, you know, to get into college. So it's all about her training these, like, you know, these robotic kids, you know? <laughs> and, and you know, the whole Asian American com- community was up in arms about this. Like, what the hell are you talking about? That's not my mom. Right. You know, that might have been your experience. But because, you know, sometimes, you know, the mainstream media is like to latch onto things like that and make it big. And they you like know? buzzwords like uh, Tiger Mom. Exactly. <laughs> so she went on the talk show circuit and pushed it even bigger. And But, you know, that that's just a, a stereotype that doesn't exist. You know, we have tough moms, but they don't push us like that. You know, every, they're like, yeah. Every culture every has culture tough yeah. moms. Thank like God, right? Caribbean God, yes. moms, you know. Every yeah. Su- yeah. My mom is yeah. tough. Yeah. Yeah. My mom slapped the shit out of me. When I was like, <laughs> you know, a grown-ass man. So, yeah, please. Uh, uh, you, you saw, you know, in, in, when, the, when the Ferguson thing went down and there was uh, some mother slapping his son. Yeah, yes. son. In, in Baltimore. Yeah yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's like my mother, too. She wouldn't take any shit what? like that, right? She's like, what the fuck are you doing? Oh, excuse me. Yeah, no, 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 it's curse. Curse. Okay. It's, it's right. free. So, <laughs> no, it's so funny, too, because my mom finally listened to an episode. Shout out to Illawaii C. He actually went by my mom's house and got her to listen to an episode of wow. Fanboy. Wow. And she was like, there's a lot of cursing. I was like, yeah, there is a lot of no, fucking can, cursing on the show. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, you can please be free. You can speak okay. whatever you like. But, but yeah, I mean, Chinese moms are like every other mom. They're also very loving and, you know, very nurturing. So the the woman on um, Fresh Off the Boat shows a little bit of that, you know. Mm. She loves her kids, but, you know, she's just too much over the top on the Tiger Mom. And, and let me tell you, my wife, who's a mother, my sister-in-law, they're so upset about that. Mm. They can't even talk about her, you know, because wow. it's just perpetuating this bad stereotype. Yeah, because I watched it once. I liked it. I watched maybe two or three episodes. I remember I watched like two or three when I realized I'd missed a few. So I went on a DVR, I watched like two or three, and I liked it. But it wasn't, and I even liked the, how they did the 1994 with the kid being into hip-hop because, you know, that's like the yeah, era the 90s, right there. Yeah. But it was still like, it, it didn't keep me like wanting to go back and watch like I watched Blackish. Right. I mean, imagine if you, if you were watching a show. I don't know. I mean, but I still think African-American shows in the 70s were great. You know, <laughs> see, I a lot know, of people like, love good times, and I'm such a like Kelly oh. Sue DeConnick. That was I know, and I'm show. such a like good times is like, and then it's like it's a weird thing with black people too. Like we're not like you said, we're not all monolithic or anything, but there's definitely a thing where I've noticed recently, and even before all the Cosby scandal, where people would be like, "Yo, I just can't relate to Bill Cosby and the Cosby's." Like, <laughs> f that, that's some fantasy, and I'm like. 
that was kind of the point. Yeah. Like, my mom and dad weren't, you know, we had a nice house where we grew up in Houston, and you can buy property there for cheap. But my mom was a lawyer, but she worked for the city lawyer. You know, my dad worked for IRS. We weren't rich or anything, but you aspire to that. And I like the, the things that make you, you know, the aspirational before. I like good times where I'm like, yo, struggle, struggle, struggle. You know? <laughs> like every week, struggle, struggle, right. struggle. You right. know? <laughs> like, I mean, that was real life for a lot of people, too. I know but, it but like, was, but, but it's a lot of, we yeah. all, especially for minorities, we, and I even hate people of color because I hate the word minorities. We, um. But like, did they want to just stay in that bubble? Yeah, they show us the struggle more often than they show us the success. Mm. Right. Which it can be kind of like, and I want, you know, I don't wonder why, I know why they're showing you yeah. the struggle. Well, right. Blackish shows the success. Yes. Uh, Uber success, Uber. Really. And I and think. Fr- Fresh Prince showed the success. success. Yeah. The Cosby and Different World. Definitely. Mm-hmm. But, but like, at least recently, I think Blackish is the most, uh, uh, the strongest proponent of showing black people in a very. Even living single, of, like, think about back on currently, yeah, but they're, yeah. currently, yeah, yeah. But they're, they're and there's a yeah. lot of, you know see there's a there's also those are more the exception to the norm too you know because there's a lot of shows that are just about struggle but that's history that's i, I would i don't know i mean like if they if all the shows about like white people in the eighth or ninth century like you know all these medieval shows it's just people killing each other and people starving and oh. People's oh, babies dying. But, but Chico, you're, I'm thinking fantasy shows like right. Game of Thrones, not a historical. No, but there's a know, bunch of these crusades. Because, no, there segment. are all these crusades. I mean, there's the two door. But see, that doesn't work because that's the other problem. There is a multitude of representation on television in all forms of media for white people. You know, for lack of a better word or whatever, for the you know, I don't want to say majority culture, but whatever. There's you know you. They are what? What was the Hollywood study that came out? Ninety-two percent oh, yeah, of roles yeah. go to white men. Oh no, no, no! Now that's yeah, a different so conversation. Yeah. I was just saying that, like, they, when that's the drama is is that's struggle when there's only one str- conflict. No, but see, there's like there's Dallas. There's you know there's right now we have not Empire. landing. Yeah, now we have one right. finally. You know, but they have like thirty before. Right. This. Although, although, and what Perry was talking about, I think earlier there's a lot of and i'm not trying to speak for you but like there are actually a lot more shows showing different facets of the black experience yeah. than asian americans or latinos oh, and that that's my other that goes yeah. into the next yeah. thought like so how are like you're you're not that big of a fan of fresh off the boat um we also have that other show with uh the doctor Oh, oh that's Ken really John. problematic, uh, right? Is it? Yeah. yeah, you know. The <laughs> doctor that went to become an actor that's now playing a doctor right, on TV. Right, right, right. <laughs> but yeah. first, first let me say that that I might not be a big fan of, of Fresh Off the Boat, but I'm happy that it's there. Oh, yeah. trust me. It. I feel the yes, same way. Yes, like, yes. Yeah, it can be the worst show about black people, and I'm so happy <laughs> that it's there. And I think, uh-huh. you know, I don't know if you remember Margaret Cho's show before uh, mm-hmm. All American mm-hmm. Family. So yeah. a lot of people were not even happy about that one. Dang. So, so I'm happy about Fresh Off the Boat. I think, I think the mother is doing a great job with what she's given and then you know she's expect you know the direction that she's given so um but yeah w- with dr kent i mean the thing is i didn't have these shows growing up but my kids are laughing mm-hmm. you know so my kids have something to look at yes. and, then, and then their generation is going to expect more so you know in terms of what you guys are saying i think that y- you you have black because you have more because you you're just i think you're 20 or 30 years ahead of the asian americans and you know mm. i think i think you know within the last 10 years we're closing that gap quickly we're trying to get we're almost there we're going to get there um but still there's so many more black uh, african-american creators and people in the room the writers and directors and filmmakers and so i think for asian americans to get there we we need to get up and you know not just be the actors but the writers 
the directors, the producers. And, you know, a few of us are up there. So and we talk about that a lot on this show, just making sure that people of color are put in the executive positions, exactly. and put in the, the decision making uh, positions and also the people who are the doorkeepers, because yes. that's typically where you meet your your biggest uh, point of of where they like, yeah, you can't come in. Like, you know, you're just like, yeah, there's this. Sorry. You, I know you want to write, but. You know, right. we need another white guy. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, with, with everything that you've been saying, do you think that, and you've already said that it's, you, you feel like maybe the Asian American or the Asian community is a little bit behind. Do you feel like it's getting better, though? Like, do you feel, um, at least when it comes to stereotypes, how they are shown on TV and how Asians are represented, do you think it's getting better? Oh, definitely getting better. I mean, I, I dropped out of acting when I was uh, doing film and television when I had kids because it was like, I can't just... I really have to focus on something and what I love right now. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I don't love doing the roles that I'm I'm going to audition for back mm-hmm. then. I'm talking about like the early early 2000. Since then, I mean, cable, Netflix, and all these things have, have producing so many more shows, and the economy or the the, the viewership is is global now. Mm-hmm. So so people want to watch Korean films. Americans want to watch Hong Kong films. Mm-hmm. I remember Chow Yun Fat coming on with The Killer and oh, yeah. yes. Jet Li coming on, you know, and you know, um, with uh, Romeo Must Die, you know, and like and there and being an Asian man was kind of cool, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, it was that era, like that nineties yeah. era, where all of a sudden, like you said, <laughs> right. there was Jackie Chan, <laughs> right. Jet Li. Right. That's every other movie was one of those three men. And they were becoming cool, whereas before <laughs> yeah. that, right? <laughs> yeah, like I feel, and, and then something happened. It's funny you mentioned. That. I'm sorry to, to go in it, but something happened where like that just dissipated, and I'm just like, okay. Yeah. So film, so television started getting interesting, I think, and this mm-hmm. and these great. You know, the, I mean, The Walking Dead was Stephen Yeun. I mean, oh, yes. So, I mean, like, he's a great example of, of an uh, Asian male who's, like, not stereotypical. He gets a lady, you know? <laughs> like, previous to him, very few Asian men got a lady and lived, you know? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, mean that that's just the thing. That, that's a, you know, role of, you know, once again, people of color in general. If you get a woman... Oh, we can't win. You're, you're dying, <laughs> you know? You're like, dead. Yeah, you're dead. That's yeah, not... Yeah, happiness... Yeah. exactly (laughs) exactly so i think things have changed dramatically and you know just about the time i really when my daughter was old enough and son was old enough to sort of be by themselves at night Mm -hmm. they'd go read a book or whatever and i thought oh well now it's mental space maybe i'll go back to auditioning for film and television i still did theater um once you know i would do one or two productions a year and that's all i could handle but you know i thought i would go back to auditioning because that takes so much time just to like mentally prepare Mm. And I sort of lucked out, you know, I, I hadn't really exercised my chops um, for film and TV. And then I saw right on my Facebook feed, I was with an Asian American uh, performance group. They sent out a call for uh, the Nick. Wow. And uh, there was an open call because they couldn't they couldn't find anyone in casting for this part. Uh, and I thought, what the Specifically for an Asian American? For Ping Wu. But see, this is my problem. What do you mean you can't find anyone? I don't, I don't, I don't, and I understand maybe it's just that particular casting agency, but I see that as a fallacy. I don't, that can't be. Just like when it's a, 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 a film, for instance, that's um, an adaptation that's based off an Asian character and then they hire a white person. Like, I don't, what do you mean? There's plenty. Yeah, first of all, I want to say that 
for for theater and or musicals, you know, the big Miss Saigon thing when they had Jonathan Price play because he was he put tape on his eyes to play an Asian or wow, Asian. Wow, I didn't even yeah. know that. Oh, yeah. oh that's I awesome. I never knew that. That's yeah. so trifling. And Cameron McIntosh, is that I his name? Yeah, that. that's him. Yeah. He said he couldn't find an Asian man talented enough to play the engineer. The wow. Movie. And it's only recently, this is th- almost 30 years later, that he apologized for saying that on the, in the New York Times. He's, I shouldn't have said that. You yeah, know? you think? That's but, highly unlikely. Right. But now yeah. I'm talking about, for the Nick, Steven Soderbergh was just looking for a particular okay, character. So that's different. That's different from mm-hmm. not being talented enough. They mm-hmm. were looking for a specific kind of person which i happen to fall into by accident <laughs> <laughs> you I look like an opium dealer who's gonna open a brothel yes well, you yeah one is something cre- creative wise like you said you're looking for a specific look to the person a specific maybe gait maybe a specific tone in your voice i get that fine but one is just like oh we couldn't find an age person so yeah oh we couldn't find you know, the writer of, of of fresh off the boat so we hired an indian exactly. woman to fill the quota like no exactly. offense to the Indian woman because I I know she she's probably a great uh, writer but the thing is like there are a lot of other Asian American writers uh, who have of Taiwanese descent that knows their experience perfectly that could have written you know and have yeah done it perfectly well yeah you can't but, um, and that brings up a point though that because we uh like we said we have our segment this week in the N word and one of our frequent candidates uh, Anthony Mackie oh, this week decided to say that um he feels like you don't need a black director to direct Black Panther. Hmm. And <laughs> I love Paris. <laughs> well, I think, I think you just hmm. answered my question because I wanted to know how you feel. Like, do you, you know, do you feel that it has to be in, like an Asian writer on Fresh Off the Boat? Well, you know, that, that their experience is quite unique, mm-hmm. being from Taiwanese, Taiwan, Taiwanese yeah. immigrating to Florida, and, and having some American cousins and... If they had a writer with that sensibility, I, I guess I wouldn't really care what color they were. If they really understood truly the sensitivity and the sensibility of, of that experience to write yeah. directly with truth and honesty from that experience, I guess it doesn't really matter what color that person is. Yeah, I, when you say like that, yeah, but when is that ever really but the case? but Yeah, but why not have a, a African-American, I guess, you know? Or, an, I mean, direct black panther. I mean, why not? I mean, they, it should be, unless there's a reason not to. And there are so many kinds of black directors. I mean, right. so why, you know, what are we talking about? And someone's going to argue, see, someone's going to use your point and say, well, who, <laughs> what black person can argue from, who can write from the standpoint of a black king? And I'm just like, come Ooh. on, because you know someone's going to say that. Oh, that that would hurt. That would hurt. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but, you know but, how the comments are. But would it be a non-black person, you know, that can do that? It's... Yeah, I mean that. But see, that's the you know that'll be the that that's when somebody gets punched in the mouth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, th- that's where I had always argued that it actually should be an African guy playing, uh, you know, T'Challa, as opposed to. It, but there's a very big difference but, between Africans and African Americans. Oh, American. No, that so that is be, true. I mean, that is definitely American true. Like MLK wait, wait, for hold one, up. You say so. there's a there's a very big difference between an African um, culturally that you know African Americans have been here for. 500 years and Wakanda has been over there for 500 Wakanda years. Wakanda has also been a fictional country for, for 50 years. That's so true. Like, but it's a fictional say. country in a real in a, in a real part of the world. But it's a, but it it's a fictional country that doesn't really adhere to any right. rules of the right. real world by right. any means. Exactly. It, uh, I mean, besides Ethiopia, there's no other, and even Ethiopia has had incursions 
you know, Wakanda has never been colonized, right. you know, so there's no comparison I, to I it. just, my thing is just sort of like, I think a British person should, only a British person should play James Bond. Now, Idris Elba is British, I and I so he could see- I disagree a thousand percent. Like, Rick Grimes is an American, and he's played by a British. I know, right? but that's you know, not like, James Bond. Rick Grimes was is Rick, like one one hundredth as like only, culturally at, important as James Walking Bond. Walking Dead is 10 years old, you know, in, in another 40, it's going to be 50. That's true, you know, right. And it is the highest selling, no, it no, is no, shitting it is, on James Bond. Well, I don't terms, know about that. In terms of cultural relevance right now, it is banging on James Bond. Like, at this hammer moment, to the head. I don't know. About, well, I don't hammer know. to the face so, banging on James Bond. Wait, I don't know. Wait, so wait, Perry, I have to ask you. Do you think now we're getting to the point where I'm like, is there a line? Like, is, is there the line? Is there this line of delineation, like, whether the character is fictional <laughs> or, or, you know, based in real life? Like, is there a point where it's just like, it has to be written by someone who, as you said, has some semblance of that experience? Or can someone who's just talented as hell as a writer anyone could do it like well i mean being where we are today i mean i think that people of color just need the opportunities so i think that mm. we should give it to them or us first i yeah. mean you know there are plenty of us who are talented enough it's whether we're allowed to sort of play golf you know mm. <laughs> you know so that's that's what it is i think <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> nah, 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 nah. Y'all can't play no golf. <laughs> Saw how that worked out. Uh, and, and this wasn't in reference to Tiger Woods. You know, I, I'm, right. just, yeah, I'm just talking about letting us in the club, yeah. right? Because there are plenty, plenty of very talented uh, people of color, and 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 now it's just whether we can have those opportunities. And so I think that if if, if there's a chance, um, well, you know, I guess it's like saying. Can we, you know, like a woman, you know, they're they're fulfilling, you know, this this um, quota by letting a woman writer write, and she happens to be Asian, mm -hmm. you know, but it just wasn't the right fit. So I think there is a right fit, and I think we should look for those people, and I think they exist. Now, can, can you talk a little bit about, because one of the things that the Nick does is, you know, it's set in 1901, and most things that are set back then usually feature all white casts, and the Nick actually does focus on black life and a little bit less on Chinese on you know the Chinese New York American experience but do, do you think that um I don't know I guess just just talk about like do, do do you feel that they that they do a better job exploring the sort of inner lives and the world of the black characters than the Chinese characters because there really is only one major black character and one major Chinese character. <laughs> But like, there how are much can they explode? well, no. But the doctor, the Andre Drummond character, um, his world is a lot more is a lot uh, bigger and and more diverse. You know, the, we see much more Algernon. going on in his yeah, Algernon. Algernon, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. You're right. Uh, I mean, you know, this it's the writers writing for a white audience, basically. Right. You know, and but if you know, a lot of the book was a lot of I think the script the writers did the research, and and we were told to read this book, Low Life, by Luke Sante. I've read that. Yeah. Yeah, and you really that book really gives you a color uh, a view of how colorful New York City was back then. Chinatown was quite huge. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like New York City didn't really spread much across Fourteenth Street. <laughs> you know, right. I mean, it was New York City was small. So and Chinatown, so there was a lot of Chinese back then, a lot of um, Irish, mm -hmm. a lot of you know like Jewish immigrants, um, and black. So it was a very colorful city. I mean, it was gritty, it was dirty, it was full of disease, you know, and. And so that's why the Nick is so interesting because it was like, what did, how did they practice medicine amidst all of this stuff, you know? But um, what was really funny when you talk about like, you know, diversity in terms of, you know, uh, on the screen, you know, in the writing, 
as opposed and you know it's on the set also you know because you know i go into the lunch room and it's just me <laughs> me and my you know my 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 right hand lady who are the people of color this was one instance we're sitting there and, and i just look around and, and you know it's an all white room you know mm-hmm. uh you know 50 or 60 people in there it's just me and my lady ling ling um and then algernon walks in and I see him coming in from across the room. You know, here's the black doctor. And he sees me. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and and that, I see you, my nerdy. I, I, I see you, my brother. You know? <laughs> and, and so he's there. And, and, you know, and we nodded each other. And then uh, he goes to get his food. And, and he comes and he sits next to me. And of I'm course. like, you know, what's going on, you know? <laughs> and, you know, it's Ping Wu, you know, it's now going on, you know? You know, we shake hands, we talk. I'm a big fan of yours. You know, we, we just laugh. You know, he's he knows about Ellen Stewart and La Mama, and we talk. And it's just like, there's just the three of us, people of color here in this big room of white people, you know? Mm. And that's it just, feels like I mean, that. Oh, it feels like that a lot, wow. right? <laughs> you, you always. Know, it's funny too, because that was an episode of Blackish. Was the the head oh, nod? Yeah. Like you know, the head nod has to be done. You exactly. know, it's like acknowledge the other yeah. person of color. In the room. Yeah, you have to do the head nod. Like <laughs> exactly, you can't avoid it. You're either gonna acknowledge it or, or avoid. Right? Yeah. You know, so it's and like, avoiding it is a sin. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Oh, but Andre uh, Andre Holland, uh, he's he's cool. We hung out at the rap party too. He's a really nice, super 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 talented, sweet guy. Just he really he open. also comes out of the theater community, right? Yes, I, yes. Yeah. He he went to NYU, the theater. Yeah, yeah. He's really really good, also on on, on the show. Although, and he also like your character has done some ass kicking on the show because <laughs> when the the scene in the first season when you definitely take over for Bunky Collier, not to not spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen season one. Some badass stuff there, right? Thank you. That that was fun. I mean, I uh, we we talked about stereotypes for a bit, but you know the thing is about something like Ping Wu when it's written into the script, and Ping Wu is a character of the times. Right. Chinatown was a character in itself in New York City, so the Chinese people are interesting in that time period for the writers. And so when you have an opium den, uh, a drug lord and brothel owner. He's a character of the times. Now, how do you play that character of the times? Do you play it like a stereotype or do you play it or it's full of its own tropes? But, you know, my job is to like bring something of, we're talking about truth, my real experience into this that's to to bring more facet to the character, to make it interesting, to make it go, to make the people who watch it go, there's something about this guy that's more than just the stereotype. Mm. You know, so, and and, you know, it's it's written the way it is, but, you bring your life to those words again. You breathe life to it, and it's and it's and it's up to the life that the actor lives, to have the capacity to to bring you know a, a truthfulness to it. Gotcha. I learned so much tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so, um, what are your great? What is your greatest hope for the future right now? And you know, both <laughs> not not just you. I mean, not just your own life, but you know, like in general. Yeah. What, yeah. Well, you know, since I had kids, I realized how important it is for them to have a world when they grow up. So my wife and I are very, Eesh. yeah, very yeah. aware of like plastic, mm. plastic bags and how they, you know, it's just, you know, we have an island of plastic bags and, you know, the Atlantic. You There's know, uh, one in the Pacific. Too. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and, and you know, in <laughs> the air, the quality and, and, you know, like poverty and child hunger, you know. So. After I had children, I thought, you know, I have to do at least one thing, you know, just the one thing that I can do, you know, 
out of all of these battles you can choose, I have to choose one. And that's to help, you know, impoverished children uh, worldwide. So through my work with the Shakuhachi, I donate 10% of all the sales to UNICEF. Oh. So anybody who wants to play the flute for, you know, for themselves, making themselves a better person uh, are actually contributing to making the world better by helping, you know, some of the world's neediest children. So where can people uh, find out more about this? Well, it's very, I can be found very easily just by Googling my name, Perry Young or Young Flutes, yeah. and they'll find my website. And, uh, you know, these days I'm quite busy, so all my flutes are made to order. So I have a whole list of, you know, I'm working on cust- all custom-made flutes. So when you order one, it would take, you know, a month to finish. But, um, you know, and again, the 10% of it will go to UNICEF. Wow. That's oh. cool. You have to play for us, you know. At some point. Sure. <laughs> when, whenever you're ready. Whenever you're ready. Now. The next, no, the ne- the next Fan Bros Live event. <laughs> Break that flute out. Play oh, some. Oh, Make it out. Oh, if that was the time, I'm going to. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Whoa. <laughs> yes. No. Oh, this is for real. And yeah. I, have, I had you? said it earlier, I mean, Fan Bros. You are going to recognize this when you hear wow, it. Wow, we're in for a treat. <laughs> <laughs> that was amazing. That was really amazing. Yeah, you should, end, you should end the show with that. Like that should be the, you know, just the. We, I don't know. If you saw we saw it on our camera. No, that was that was really we my can't eyes in a moment. I'm sorry, but no, that was beautiful. Oh, yeah. Thank you. I mean, I was just playing some phrases from some traditional Zen music, mm-hmm. and it sounds like improvisation. And, and there's a lo- lot of room for improvisation within this Zen music, but but mostly it's traditional and it's written out. You know, there are wow. ways you can interpret it. There was a couple of notes you hit, like in the middle, where it started to sound like something from blues or any yes. thing. Yeah. Right, right. I mean, the, the the scale itself is, if I don't do any of the microtonal bendings, uh, it's a very blues scale mm. of this instrument. Yeah. Okay, that's what it is. That's yeah. crazy how music is just so intertwined. It is. Nice. Yeah. Dope, man. Well, that's thank you for that. And, I mean, you survived the interview. <laughs> right. Thing. I mean, you did like, more than survive it. <laughs> <you know? laughs> he went it in. Killed, killed the uh, yeah, interview. Killed 
was our venue. first yeah. live music. Was it yes, that? yes, yeah, that's right. And Besides wow. DJing, yeah, yeah, and that's perfect. I yeah. mean, you know, anime, everything that that went right. But it's now time for our rap segment, the rapid fire questions. Oh yes, all right. We got uh, right. Perry Young in the house. <laughs> Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Um, number one, Black Panther or Luke Cage? L- Luke Cage. All right. Professor X or Magneto? Professor X. Judge Dredd or Judge Judy? <laughs> Judge Dredd. <laughs> That's actually an unpopular choice for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Falcon or War Machine? Mm, the Falcon. Star Wars or Star Trek? Oh, Star Wars. <laughs> Find a win. That's fine. What, <laughs> what character death in, in any media has affected you the worst in comics, movies, novels, radio plays? I would say uh, novels. <laughs> right, no, but which oh, which specific, like, you know. I, was, I, was I just threw that in right. there, the radio plays. We were so confused. The, uh, you know, like, but like uh, what character. What character. Or like someone oh, who's died in, in, you know. in a piece or, or oh. like he said, a play or something that right. really hit you oh, on your, in your soul. Gosh. I mean, there was there was a book, The Road. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cormac McCarthy. Yeah, where the father finally dies. Yes. Oh well, spoiler. Oh yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, oh, oh, oh. I actually avoided the movie though because I heard it was so damn depressing that I was yeah. like, Yo, I don't need to see this. It's apparently nowhere near as depressing as the book. I've seen <laughs> wow. the movie but not read the book. Yeah, they cut out all of them <laughs> cooking and eating babies and oh, all that. God. Yeah, movie that's I, in the book. I mean, as a father, and you're reading, and you think the father's just trying to help his son survive, right. give the son some tools to survive this yeah. apocalyptic world. And then he finally dies and leaves us. I mean, it's just such Damn. a heart wrenching book. Yeah, so yeah, it's heart wrenching. <laughs> yeah, I definitely avoided that one just because. Of like, I All right, what's your favorite Wesley Snipes movie? Oh, God. <laughs> you know, I'm only gonna say say Blade. Like it's a series, though, right? Yes. Yeah, Blade, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, or, or this is something you know. I'm I'm shooting a film called The Jade Pendant right now in Utah, and it's supposed to be you know they made a set in, of China and Utah. But the director Po Chi Lung had directed Wesley Snipes in a film. Uh, God, I can't remember any one of them, but um, but uh, yeah, I guess I guess it's just no wait. What's the one? Is he the vampire slayer in Blade? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's yeah. the one. Yeah, I guess it's just a series. Yeah, right. yeah, definitely. For a world takeover, would you rather be aliens or apes? Oh, aliens. <laughs> you think they'll go easier on us? <laughs> if you could have any superpower, what would it be? I'd turn invisible. Hmm. Uh-huh. Interesting choice. Interesting it, choice. Interesting there. choice for an actor, too. <laughs> right. That's true. Good point. <laughs> Man, of many surprises. All right, well, you survived the BRAP segment. You survived the interview. Uh, let the fan bros know once again where they can find you at. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I have a WordPress blog at Perry Young, P-E-R-R-Y-Y-U-N-G, for most of just my you know shout-outs for my acting work. But if they want to buy a flute or just be intru- or they're, they're just interested in the shakuhachi and zen music, I'm at youngflutes.com. Y U N G F L U T. That's the best name ever. Isn't that dope? <laughs> I was like, oh, that was nice. That's a great uh, URL pickup, by the way. Good oh, job. Thanks. Thank you. You know, I, when I was buying that name, this is how long ago it was and how fast the internet works. I was, you know, the, the, the bamboo flute is usually made from the root, mm. the root of the bamboo. I was searching 
I was going to buy the name Roots.com. R-O-O-T-S. It was available. Wow. Wait, how long ago was this? In 1995. Wow. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah. Roots.com was You could have sold that for $2 million. Is that crazy? Yeah, wow. Yeah. Now I'm depressed. I was online that point. Man, I, that's I was too, and I had a professor who used to tell us about buying up names, and I was like, yeah, okay. But I, <laughs> it wasn't yeah, that. Okay. It was like I couldn't think of anything. And But now you realize, like, because I remember the most pizza, basic stuff. Pizza.com was bought in like 95. Oh, man. And the dude sold it recently for like 2 million. Oh, man. And it was like, it was, yeah, it was the most basic stuff that you just wouldn't think to register, like pizza.com. You know, right, right. $2 million. Like. Exactly. <laughs> We can't win. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we at got, least we got fan bros. Yeah, and we got blackish, you know. <laughs> doing all right. We're doing all right. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, we're going to take another quick break and we'll be right back with more fan bros. Hey, yo, yo, yo. This is Foul March. And when I'm not rooting for my New York Knicks or the New York Giants, and when I'm not in Queens at City Field on a third base line watching the Mets. I'm checking out the Fan Bro Show. What's up, Fan Bros? I know you've been enjoying this amazing episode. Big shout out to Perry Young, who um, you know just joined us. That was a really crazy interview. Shouts to all of our new fans. This is how we get down. Go ahead and subscribe to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, pretty much everywhere in the world. We're there, Fan Bro Show. Google us, you know. That's how we get down. Uh, real quick, though, before we get out of here, I got to mention this, man, because it's just, you know, warm my heart is that uh, Common, the uh, rapper Common, was cast in the John Wick joint yeah, John Wick as the too. villain. The sequel. Uh, you know, that's fine when they say he was cast, but the, he's the villain? I know, but I'm just, I mean, really, I, I hope for, you know, three parts to John Wick and maybe Common survives, but I just want to see, I mean, no he's offense. He's John to, Wick, though. Yeah, I know. So, I mean, that is the thing, but that will also help me if Common just gets done off because I'm just a fan of rappers getting done <laughs> off in movies. It's just an obsession a, of mine. There's a lot of people that are with you on Twitter. Nobody put me on to, that Common got ate by a bear in Hell's on Wheels. Like, yo, yeah, that's what I'm telling. I told you about that. Oh, man. I just watched the video today. I was crying. It was so That's fun. an episode where it's only Common and, uh, and like, Cheyenne people, yo, and it, the whole episode is, like, in Cheyenne. Yo, I've straight Language. up. Language. I straight up and down. I went and looked for the gift of him getting ate by the right. bear today. That's Justin how <laughs> just so I could have that <laughs> for future reference. But yeah, big shout out to Common for getting that role. Um, real quick, as always, like I said, subscribe to us on YouTube because there is so much popping over there right now. Yeah. Fan Bros TV is taking it to another level. There's a brap segments from New York Comic Con. There's sort of Shanahara, Shanahara, Shanara, Shanara. <laughs> I was trying to say shenanigans. Butcher. I yeah. mean, there's everything. We have all the interviews with people that you knew we were interviewing, people you did not know we were interviewing. Yep. Chico Leo actually is like best friends with Manu Bennett now. That's right. He I'm going to go hat. chill with him after this show. Quixis nice. from Spartacus, for those who don't know who he is. And, and Slade, Slade Wilson, Wilson from Arrow. Yeah. yeah definitely. And Azog the Defiler from the <laughs> Hobbit movies. <laughs> 
Wait, he's the orc? He's the orc. What? I didn't know he yeah, was the orc. He, he's the orc that's chased that that that's after them, you know, that, that has a, a beef with Thorin. Dude, Wait, yeah. the, not the big white. Yeah, yeah, the big white orc Holy with one arm. Shit, you can know. tell it's him too if you're if you're if, if you're you a big fan. Yeah, yeah like, like Chico is obviously. Right. I mean, I like the dude, but damn, that was a waste. I mean, those whole Hobbit movies were a waste. But anyway, you know, check out all of our, you know, interviews, all the footage. We got so much more coming. Make sure you head over there and subscribe to it right now. Yeah. Also, make sure while you're online that you check out womensfreedomconference.com to check out the replay of all the dope panels that was uh, received that day. It was actually on October 25th, but you can still watch the entire thing. It was an amazing, amazing conference um, founded by Feminista Jones, along with a, a bevy of amazing women of color. And like I said, it's a freedom conference. It was actually a digital conference uh, designed to amplify the voices of women of color. So from every industry, every facet of life and society, someone talked about on it. And it was really amazing, like I said, to be an all-digital conference. And then you can watch it at any time you want. Dope. So just check it out. Most definitely. Anything else before we get out of here, Chico? Yeah, the second Hobbit movie was really good. <laughs> No, the second one is no, dope. Third one, not so dope. The first one's terrible, I but the second like one. I didn't any of them, Chico. Second one is as good as. Mom's whole sequence is incredible. Yeah, yeah. but even, I think but the stuff sequel, with the elves is really dope. No, right. locking them up and all that. So yeah. we did that this? Yeah, that's because you don't like the prison stuff. Fat bros, fat bros.